All right, so uh, welcome tonight. So this is the sixth and final one of these talks. Um, the, the theme running through them is finding God in ordinary life, that we are all called to be saints, regardless of whatever our vocation is, whether we live in the midst of the world, not just that we live in the monastery. Some of the talks I've talked about the goal of what we're aiming for, to be sons in the sun. Other talks I've talked about the tools of the trade, the tools to sanctity. Um, well, tonight we are focusing um, on self-denial and mortification, uh, which is one of the tools, a tool that exists for all of us in whatever form of life we're in. Um, and is obviously particularly important for us now in Lent. So we've got, it's counting 10 more days left, 10 more days without my chocolates, um, whatever else. Um, so, um, good moment to be reminding ourselves what it's all about. So, mortification. Um, here are two images of serious mortification. So, this is the discipline, the whip that was used by Pope St. John Paul II. So, um, none of us knew this when he was alive, and uh, this is something he did privately. Um, this is a thing called a psyllis that would be frequently used by members of Opus Dei. Um, doesn't puncture the flesh, but it is uncomfortable, and they'd wear it for an hour a day. Um, mortification. So I want to introduce this with a little personal anecdote from my own history. So those of you who read holy books, and you read the writings of different saints, and you read what this saint recommends and that saint recommends, one of the things the saints talk about again and again is the fact that unless you live the cross, you cannot find the crucified. Unless you live the cross, you cannot be on that path, the royal road of the cross that leads to Calvary and beyond Calvary to the resurrection and to heaven. And they talk a lot about mortification. And I can remember... Um, so at this stage, I had um, a spiritual director who is a priest of Opus Dei. So I knew that um, he practiced serious mortification. He knew what it was about. Um, and I was reading uh, one saint in particular who'd been talking a lot about mortification. And I'd got myself kind of all hyped up and I was ready for it. And I went to my spiritual director and I spoke to him at some length about everything I'd been reading about how important this was and how I was ready now. I'm ready to do some serious mortification. And he listened to everything I said and he said, you know, you're right, you do need to do some serious mortification. And the mortification you need to do is you need to go to bed earlier. Uh, you need to go to bed earlier. Uh, now, I offer that to you as an anecdote, but an illustration also of, in a sense, what real mortification is about. That these things can look dramatic, but actually the real thing about mortification is about one part of you dying that a new thing might live. Um, and my spiritual director knew me well enough to know that the thing that was worst in my life was all that lack of discipline that lack of living a proper ordered life that hinged on the fact that I wasn't going to bed at a reasonable hour. 
and I wasn't functioning properly the next day because I hadn't got a good night's sleep. Um, and the most unexciting thing to go to bed earlier was actually the thing I needed to die to self in in order to live a new life. So I offer that as an image of mortification. Uh, and that was told to me by a priest who I knew took this stuff seriously too. So, let's, what are we talking about? Mortification. Three things, being remade, dying and rising in Christ, and being conformed to the image of the Son. So this image here of the crucifixion and of the resurrection, that the old me has to die, that the new me might come. If I want to be conformed to his image, then I need to also embrace this image on my way there. So the Bible, um, and we particularly get this image a lot in St. Paul's letters, refers to the old man, meaning Adam, the one who fell. So a series of quotes here, the old man, the man of the flesh, the man of sin, of death, the sinful passions in its members bearing fruit unto death. There's something in me that isn't right. The old man, fallen Adam within me. So this needs to be killed, this old man. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the old nature with its desires and passions. You need to put to death what belongs to your earthly nature. By the Spirit, put to death the deeds of the body. And again, our old man is crucified with him, that the new man might live. Then two words here from our Lord. Unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains a single grain. But if it dies, it bears a rich harvest. And whoever would save his life must lose it. And whoever would lose his life will save it. There's something in me that isn't right. The old man, I've got to kill him, that the new man might live. So as Jesus says, if anyone would be my disciple, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. That this taking up the cross, it has to be a thing I choose, that I embrace. Um, we have that great image as we do the Stations of the Cross of Simon of Cyrene, taking up the cross behind our Lord, following our Lord, but, but bearing the load. And that I too have a cross. I too have suffering in my life. I too have to take that up if I'm going to go where he went before me. He said, follow me. And where was he going when he said, follow me? He was going to Calvary. He was going to die. So the new man is how St. Paul contrasts that. The new man is the resurrected Christ. I must be remade, and I can be remade, not by my own power, but by him. His grace working within me can make me into something that I'm not yet. Okay, thinking a little more specifically now. Mortification comes in two 
forms, two categories, an active and a passive. So active, so we've got this image again of lots of people carrying their cross. Active is what you choose to do. I choose to fast. It's my idea. So I'm off chocolate for Lent. I've chosen to be without chocolate. In fact, there's a box of it still in my... Uh, <laughs> I didn't get rid of before Lent began. So, you know, any moment, I, it's there, I could have it. I'm choosing not to. It's not that I'm without it. It's not that the supermarket doesn't have it anymore. I am choosing to go without it. So this is what's called active mortification. Now, there's all kinds of other difficulties carrying of my cross that comes to me that I don't choose. So I wake up with a sore back, or I'm stuck in a queue of traffic. Um, all of those bits of ordinary life that are suffering, those come to me and I don't choose them. And many of those, not only I don't choose, but actually I can't avoid. So some things you don't choose, but you can go to the doctor and get it fixed a bit. Um, there's even when you go to the doctor and whatever else, there kind of remains a residue of suffering that you're stuck with, that you didn't choose, that is passive, you're passive before it. But you're not completely passive, and that you can choose how to relate to it. You can choose whether to accept it or to complain about it. Am I going to be impatient? Am I going to groan? Am I going to tell every single person I meet today about just how awful my day is? Or am I going to choose to accept my cross, to lovingly, in union with Jesus, bring it to him, unite it to him, make it a sacrifice in union with him, and become part of my pathway to heaven? So these two things, active and passive. Active, what I choose to fast. Passive, what I receive, but I then choose to accept. So, press now to accept. So I can accept that, it was my, that I am sick today, even though it wasn't my initiative. I didn't choose to be sick, but I can choose to accept it as part of my personal cross. So both of these achieve the same goal. Active mortification fosters an attitude that supports passive mortification. So one of the reasons it's important to do things like go without chocolate in Lent is that by learning that practice of kind of coping with suffering even without chocolate, I learn how to also cope with that suffering I need in order to be patient with the difficulties in life. So that when I meet those difficulties in life, I don't become that disagreeable, impatient, irritable individual that makes life miserable for everybody else. My choosing to embrace those little bits of suffering of, of not having that chocolate enables me to accept the other things in passive mortification. So I want to spend a couple minutes now thinking about, so I've said generally, there's this thing within me that isn't right. The old man has to die. Well, what is it within me? 
more specifically, that needs to be put to death. And there are three things highlighted by the saints drawing on the scriptures, the will, the imagination, and the flesh. And the will within me, what I choose, what my heart is set upon, that's kind of the key of everything else. And these others relate to it in different ways. My imagination, churning away all the time, and then my flesh, the world of the physical pleasures, that is a very specific manifestation of what my will relates to, but it's something that's so common that it kind of gets treated as a thing in itself. So the will, the imagination, and the flesh. So first, what's wrong with my will? What's wrong with what my heart is set upon? Well, I said there at the bottom, our will is typically habituated to self-seeking, that it's all about me. That's what's wrong with my will. That's what needs to change in my will, that it isn't all about me. So, a couple of images. Uh, Mr. Lazy there. Um, the centre of sin and of pride is I. Yes, you may know that the I is in the centre of both of those. Um, come on. So that's what's wrong with my will. That's why my will needs to be corrected, put to death. But what does it mean to mortify my will? What does it mean to kill off my will, kill off what my heart is set upon? Well, very simply, it means saying no to what my will is set upon. So if there are two options before me and I'm wanting B, well, if I choose A instead, I've said no to what my will was set upon. And if I get a habit of doing that, of, or in a sense of being free to do that, then I'm also going to be more free when it comes to all those situations when I need to put somebody else ahead of me. When love calls me to not put my will first, but somebody else's will instead. Okay, three examples. Not dramatic examples, but this is, in a sense, the point, just like my going to bed earlier. Um, the will, the mortifying of the will, is actually in very unexciting things. So one example I know friends in London do, standing when you could sit. So that's an image of the London Underground. Um, so it's not a big deal to stand instead of sit, but it's a small thing of detaching yourself from always doing what I want. So I choose to stand rather than sit. To not fuss over a choice, whether it's your choice of shoes, of tie or of coat. So you see the woman there with all her shoes to choose from. Um, <laughs> it's a very sexist image, okay. <laughs> um, So we all have situations where there's a choice before us. Well, it's possible when the will is set on me, I can get far too invested in that choice. It becomes far too important to me. Do I have this one or that one or the other? Simplifying our choices, mortifying our will, just saying, actually, those ones are good enough and I'm not going to spend too long thinking about it. It's a small way of growing in freedom in our will. 
And then another thing can be to reverse my personal preferences, especially when I'm with others, and I practice that when I'm alone. So, you know, we all know the, the thing, the, the polite Englishman is uh, asking who wants the last apple, who wants the last portion of lasagna. Um, to not putting my preferences first, um, well, you can do that out of formal politeness, or you can do it out of love for others. And if you're going to do it with love for others, you've got to do it with that freedom in your will that my will isn't set on what I want. So the apple and orange image, if there's two things in front of me that, you know, they're both okay, really. Well, whichever one I kind of want the most, I'll go with the other one. Just to train my will to be a little freer in not always wanting my preference. So these are small things, but it's about learning to say no to self. Here we have an image of Mother Teresa, uh, and I've said that saying no to self to be free to say yes to others' needs. So in a sense, this is the, the practical goal of all of this. If I've learned to say no to myself, then my will is free to say yes to all those other things that come before me. That if Mother Teresa was all caught up about her choice of shoes, she wouldn't have the time to care for the one in front of her. Okay, so that was kind of the biggest, the heart of the thing, mortifying the will. A slightly different thing, well, it is a different thing, the imagination. So actually my, you know, my brain is a big part of me and my brain's always churning away and my imagination is always at work. Well, if I'm going to change what my heart is set upon, I need to also change what my mind is churning away on, what my imagination is set on. So on to first note, I've said here positively, imagination is a tool. It's a good thing from God. So I need my imagination to plan future events. I need my imagination to analyse my problems. And then even in prayer, I need my imagination to envisage Christ in the Gospels. You know, imagination in itself, it's a good thing. But uh, my imagination can also be a problem. I can live my life in a fantasy. I can live my life in daydreams. Um, so why does the imagination need mortifying? Oh, well, St. Teresa of Avila, here's another sexist image, says... Imagination is a wild woman running through the house. Um, <laughs> so, um, a wild woman running through your house. A wild woman running through your brain. Uh, something, you know, it's, it's wild. Uh, you need to control that wildness. So, a couple ways of focusing that. Imagine less to desire less. So if you stop thinking about food, you'll reduce your desire for food. 
So if I find myself somewhere thinking about chocolate, well, um, one way to desire it less in my will is to think about it less in my mind. So that mortifying the imagination. Imagine less to be less angry. Fostering anger by thinking about what makes us angry, well, that's what makes me even more angry. So when I find myself in those situations where I am angry about something and my mind is imagining that conversation again, um, and I should have said, um, and do you remember what he said? And that my imagination, when it's running away with those kind of thoughts, my will is problematic for all kinds of things and how it then engages with it. So I need to kill, mortify my imagination in this sort of field as well. So there are lots of things in our thinking, in our imagination, that we can identify as actually being problematic, even though the imagination itself is a good thing. So, the problem, how to control our thoughts, how to mortify, put to death our thoughts. And this is actually much more difficult than chocolate. Um, so St. Augustine famously said, the mind commands the body and the body obeys. Arm, move, and it does. The mind commands itself and meets resistance. So it's not easy to control, to mortify your thoughts. Um, but, and I'm just going to very much summarise a couple things here, but, but the saints talk about this at length. It is one of the, the important things. Okay, strategy one, uh, diversion. So I find myself thinking about something that I don't want to be thinking about. I'm thinking too much about the chocolate. I'm thinking too much about that angry thing. I'm thinking too much about that slow driver in front of me. Um, diversion. I see my thoughts are on something unhelpful and I move my thoughts to something else. I divert my thoughts to something else. So what this involves, apart from anything else, is I have to have, in a sense, a ready stock of things that interest me, that I can then divert myself to. So if you have novels that interest you, then you can remind yourself of something you're reading. A film that interested you, that you can remind yourself of. Um, something that will engage the brain, engage the imagination, and divert you from what you were on. And then, of course, there are all sorts of pious images. So to, to picture our Lord in his physical agony on the cross, to picture the details of that, um, such pious imagination can be such a more powerful image that it can break my thoughts, even when I'm on something that seemed quite... Um, occupying at the time. So, strategy one, redirect disordered thoughts to another topic. For example, something that interests us, something that diverts us. Strategy two, simply stop. 
Um, so to have the habit of saying no to myself, to recognise in myself that my thoughts are running away with themselves. There's a whole train here and I just have to stop it. I have to say a brief no. Um, and I can often with that uh, invoke the help of my guardian angel, call on the power of the Holy Spirit, but a no, stop. This isn't good. This isn't, this isn't helping. So stop a train of thoughts before it runs away. Uh, the example, impatience at your wife, judgment of a friend, anger at children. Um, whatever your thought is running away with, recognise that it's running away and say, stop. Okay, so, talked about mortifying the will, talked about mortifying the imagination. The last thing, mortifying the flesh. So I said this is a circumstance, a particular detail of what the will gets set on, but it's kind of such a recurring detail that it deserves looking at in itself. So, a circumstance of mortifying the will, saying no. Mortifying the will is saying no to yourself. Mortifying the flesh is saying no to yourself about a pleasure of the senses. So, two categories of the pleasures of the sense. Uh, this is a, an image of uh, food here, a banquet. Um, and I'm not going to show any pictures uh, of this for obvious reasons. Um, but these are two things that are given to us by God. They are pleasures. In themselves, they are good but I so easily relate to them in a way that isn't good, that is disordered, that's over-focused, and so therefore needs to be rectified, corrected, mortified. To repeat that, pleasures are good and God-given, but my desires for them are excessive and disordered. Um, so you've probably heard before about the, the heresy of Jansenism, so it was a a French heresy that um, got into Ireland in a big way because when it was illegal to train priests in Ireland, they were sent to France and they picked up this French heresy and took it back to Ireland. And a big part of the heresy of Jansenism was to deny that the body was good, to treat the body and the flesh as if they were evil in themselves. Um, and with that can therefore go a, an automatic suspicion of these things and a failure to appreciate that actually these are good in themselves. It's just they need to be properly regulated, properly directed. So how do I mortify the flesh? Well, self-denial. I deny myself something and this helps me in how I relate to these things. Saying no to a pleasure of the flesh. And why do I do that? Because my desires need training, my desires need disciplining, my desires need forming. To use that word again, they need mortifying. But it's not that my desires are inherently wrong, but they need to be formed, to be directed, because they're out of direction, they're out of kilter, they're often too much or they're too little. So some examples. 
of self-denial. Um, obviously, fasting, um, as we are doing already in other ways, all the little things we give up during with Lent, but somewhere being with Jesus in the desert. Um, simplifying a choice of pleasure, so not drinking your favourite beer, or not spending as long on a restaurant menu choice. Um, wherever you find yourself with a choice, to kind of make it quickly, a little mortification. Shall I put salt on my food? Shall I not? To, to just mortify choices by simplifying them. Because the more I fuss about a choice, it's a fussing that's got me at the centre of it. So not putting salt or pepper on your food. I've said sometimes, not every time. That variety keeps the penance real. Um, so uh, I give up sugar for, in my tea for Lent, but I always give myself one day of the week when I do have it in there, because otherwise I get so used to not having the sugar that it ceases to be a penance the other days. Um, so, so in a sense, I want to feel the self-denial. Um, and, you know, these things are good in themselves. So if you always didn't have flavour... Um, because you're doing penance. Well, you'd, if you did that all the time, you'd have the risk of denying the goodness of these things in themselves. Okay, finally, a couple more serious examples. Cold showers. Cold showers, interestingly, are good for your health. I was reading a long article on this. Um, Good for your blood circulation. Apparently, even better is a cold bath. So run and just, and just lie there. Um, so cold shower, you spend less time in the shower. So, you know, all of the kind of practical benefits. Um, and we live in this world where we expect comfort. We live in this world where we expect everything to be just perfect. So things where I am not living the world of comfort, um, okay, and then back to the two visual examples I started with. So why did St. John Paul II use a discipline on himself? In order to train the body, in order to not live for himself, not to live for the pleasures, um, to live for God. Okay, this is kind of my final slide here. I just want to note the dangers of dramatic penances. So, much as I would commend dramatic penances, there are two very obvious dangers. One is pride. I'm such a fantastic person because I'm, I'm the only person in the parish who uses a whip. I must be better than all of them. Um, so, pride is a very real danger with anything dramatic. Um, Another danger is a loss of sense of proportion. So, you know, Jesus fasted and feasted. He rested and he worked. Um, that there should be balance in an integrated life. And the danger with something dramatic is we tend to think that the dramatic thing is the best thing. And so you can lose balance. Um, so if you're going to do dramatic penance, I would say to anybody you need to be only doing that if you've got a spiritual director um, and 
doing that in the context of having advice about checking whether it's in balance. And of course, as I started by saying, your spiritual director may say, yes, you do need to mortify yourself. Go to bed earlier. Um, okay, summary point. Why do we do penance? Um, motives for penance? Atonement, reparation, petition, thanksgiving, means to progress for you, for me, for others, for your family, for your country, for the church, and a thousand motives more to be offering it up. We might note also when we're praying for people, praying for things, that when we do self-denial, when we make sacrifice with it, that prayer grows in value with sacrifice. So coming back to the image I began with, what is mortification? It's about being remade, about dying and rising with Christ, that we might be conformed to the image of the Son. These are the things that need putting death, need putting to death in me, the will, the imagination, the flesh. Um, and there we are. All right.